here. We've still got some people coming through the foyer, and uh, they're going to settle in and find a seat. But uh, while they're doing that, uh, we're going to, on the count of three, we're going to say hallelujah, right? One, two, three. Hallelujah! I was waiting on somebody to say right. <laughs> Look in your praise book number 58. Keep on the sunny side in your praise book number 58. This is a great February tune. Let's all stand to our feet if you're able. Praise book number 58. We're going to sing this together. Keep on the sunny side.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if you missed the dinner last night, it was really good. And I want to thank all the people who were involved in that. Boy, it's just the decorations were nice. The food was good. Wow. Yeah. They even took all the calories out of the <laughs> Wonderful. Just wonderful. Yeah. Hey, um, this Wednesday, we're going to have a Bible study, and we're going to, the ladies are presenting an Italian theme for dinner, and uh, we'll study, and then um, February 17th, which is coming up, it's amazing, we're already almost to the middle of February, uh, the Women's Bible Study, depending on Jesus, will be happening at 10 o'clock in the fellowship room. Uh, the men's Bible study on Tuesday morning will happen, is that going to be this, this next week? Okay, this next week, and there's always uh, uh, good fellowship and music and etc. with that, so please uh, plan on attending. Uh, you can look at the rest of your bulletin, we want to uh, thank uh, the Heavenly uh, Sent Flowers for their flowers, they always do such a nice job. <coughs> I'm going to read this scripture to you because I think it's important for all of us to really think about. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, we need to take this to ourselves. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Wow. That's, that's fabulous. Awesome. Uh, I have an announcement. Okay. We have no. Starting next month, we don't have anybody signed up for snacks. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, so if you can sign up for snacks, uh, if you're interested in signing up for snacks, uh, weren't the snacks this morning great? Yeah. Yes. Yum, yum. Um, so we always reimburse. Whoever goes and gets the donuts, gets the snacks, that kind of thing, they just bring their tickets in and the church is more than happy to reimburse you for that. So uh, there's actually no expense, really. Uh, there's just the time that it is involved in having those ready. So if anybody is uh, willing to sign up for that, uh, we would sure appreciate the help. Uh, at the end of this month, we don't have anybody signed up after that. So Actually, they just have to buy them. Nancy graciously gets them all ready and lays mm -hmm. them all out. Well, let's continue to praise and worship this morning in your hymn or in your praise book number 47. In your praise book number 47, an oldie called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Let's just sing this out this morning and have a good time.
line in hymnal number 79. My Jesus, I love thee. Let's just sing this one together. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
your only begotten Son, the Word that became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Lord Jesus, thank you again for everything, for our salvation. You are our hero. And Father in heaven, we just praise you. Your plan of grace and mercy is perfect. Your, your distribution, your, uh, your gospel is just absolutely amazing. And Father, we just pray that, Lord, you pour out your Holy Spirit on every single person alive on the face of the earth today, convicting each one of us of our sins and convincing each one of us of your righteousness. The fields are white, Father, as you well know. We just pray that you'll send out laborers uh, to the fields, Father. And we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. churches and they never sing any of the hymn books, they never sing any of the older songs and, and they miss it. And not that the new ones aren't good, but uh, the old ones are certainly good too, aren't they? I'm sure we'll be hearing these songs in heaven. So Father in heaven, we just pray that you'll please bless this offering to the needs of this church and this community. Help our church, Lord God, to be a light in this community. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
George Scout's parents, oh. and we like to play it every so often. And George is, uh, he's not able to play it today, but I just want to play it with, with him here. Okay, good job. So, uh, we always try to celebrate the Valentine's uh, stuff, you know, the weekend before Valentine's. We had a great party last night, had a lot of fun, but uh, carrying on over to, into today, we've got a fabulous special for you. And so I'm gonna ask Randy Ames, he's gonna come on board. He's gonna share special music for you this morning. Oh 
the stories he brings along the road on this trip all speak to us to the type of salvation that Jesus is offering and bringing and the type of heart that Jesus wants us to have, wants to build in us, wants to find in us when he returns. It's so very important that we pay attention to this. So with that in mind, let's take a look now uh, as we introduce this, Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that amazing? The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector Great character development, don't you think, on the part of Jesus in, in telling this story? The Pharisee would have been somebody that everybody would have respected and thought was a holy, a wonderful, and perfect person. And the tax collector would have been what? The person that everybody despised. Actually, put your hands up. How many of you love tax collectors today? <laughs> looking forward to April 14th or 18th this year? No, nobody's looking forward to that. Somebody universally despised. And yet, Jesus flips the script on this, doesn't he, with us? The one, that, uh, the one that is actually considered unrighteous, he humbled himself before God. And God lifted him up and exalted. It's a heart of repentance, humble repentance before a holy God. And that's the kind of heart that God wants to find in you is a humble and repentant heart before him. You know, being self-righteous, by the way, is really a terrible position to be in. It's a terrible position to be in. First of all, you're walking in self-deception. If, if you're, if you, if you're self-righteous, you're walking in self-deception. The Bible says that there is none that are righteous and that all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nobody that, being self-righteous is kind of a, a way of, of uh, deceiving yourself. Any sort of righteousness you have is the mercy of God working in you. And any progress you make in this, in this life, is a gift from God towards you. It's nothing to be proud about or brag about. It's like, thank you, God, for what you've done thus far. And, you know, we don't need to take pride in our righteousness. But not only that, you know, if you're walking in self-righteousness, you're fooling yourself, but you're not kidding any of us either, are you? It's absolutely true there. Uh, certainly, we also are instructed by our Lord to have mercy and have empathy for people other than ourselves. Now, we grade ourselves always on the curve anyway, don't we? You know, we... If our, if our intentions are good, no matter what our actions are, if our intentions are good, we give ourselves a pass. But do we give a pass to other people for their intentions? No. Or their actions? No. So we always grade on the curve anyway. And that tends to have us lack empathy and mercy for other people. Self-righteousness and contempt are really two sides of the same coin. The same, very same thing. And then the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us that we need to be careful because by the same measure that we judge other people, we ourselves will be judged. And that we tread lightly, he warns us, he says, take the log out of your own eye before you point out 
the splinter in the other person's eyes. We tread lightly. We be merciful, we be patient, because 100% of us fall short. How many people here have fallen short of the glory of God? Yeah, good, good. You, you catch the drift here. We're all in the same boat. It's the air that we breathe. It's the atmosphere we live in. We are not perfect. We have failed. The God, that's the good news of the gospel, is that we are given grace to live a holy life, but also that we are given mercy when we fail, and that is what we must offer one another. We must come in humility and live in repentance, and that's what it is. So how is that lived out in our lives? Well, that's displayed for us in the text I want to share this morning. So go forward a page to uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And the answer is actually really quite surprising. How do we live a life in humility and repentance? How does that happen? Great story. We're going to be reading verse nine, uh, or verse, or chapter nineteen, verse one. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector, and he was rich. Now Jericho is an interesting place. Those of you who know the know your Old Testament remember the Battle of Jericho when when Israel was coming into the Promised Land and that they marched around the walls of Jericho as an impregnable city. And uh, then the trumpets were blown and the walls fell down and the, 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 uh, Israel had really kind of one of its first military victories as they overcame the walls of Jericho. And Joshua, uh, at the time, he cursed Jericho. He cursed and he said, may your foundations never be built again. And yet here we find Jesus coming to a fully rebuilt city that's human nature isn't it put back things no matter what and so we have this we have this city that was that was cursed by joshua and now in jesus's time it's a thriving city of trade it's a place of, of pleasure it was it was a little bit like las vegas i guess at the time where people would go down for you know spend spend time for a weekend of pleasure down there but one of the other things that was important was the fact that it was also a shipping point for agricultural products that would be shipped from the Middle East all throughout the Roman Empire. And what would happen was, as these, the caravans would come through, they'd, go, they'd be, have a choke point in Jericho, and as the caravans go through, they would all be charged a duty tax on the goods that were going were gonna to float into the Roman Empire. And that's what uh, Zacchaeus was. He was a chief tax collector, and it says he was rich. So he was actually, as the chief tax collector, was over a whole team of people that would do this. And it was an industry that allowed for a lot of corruption, a lot of extortion of people. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, Zacchaeus, being rich, must have been guilty as charged, right? You know, what the, you know what his name means? It means the just. It means the innocent. Isn't that funny that he would have that name and yet he'd be kind of a bit of a criminal or rascal? But many of us have names that we've never lived up to, right? Uh, you know, my name's Christopher, and Christopher means Christ follower. And I can promise you if you knew Christopher 1.0, uh, I was anything but a Christ follower. As a matter of fact, I was kind of trying to be the opposite in who I was following in my life. So here we have this man whose name is the innocent, the just, and he's not living up to his name. Not the first time that that's ever happened in history. One of the, just a little sidelight, I think it's very fascinating too in this whole story, is one of the most famous products that went through Jericho was the Balm of Gilead. Have you ever heard of the Balm of Gilead before? That was a real thing. It's not just a hymn. I mean, it was an actual real product. People were into, just like we are today, where you, know, you have makeup and you have creams and all this stuff. The balm of Gilead was a special ointment, a soothing ointment 
that was made from myrrh and was made from several other resins from different plants and trees that was known to cure all sorts of skin diseases and skin irritations. And so it was a very valuable product. And this would have been one of the main products actually floating through Jericho. And in the Bible, the balm of Gilead is used metaphorically many times by the Old Testament prophets. And the balm of Gilead was to speak of God's power to heal and bring repentance for our sins. And so it was, it was used as this metaphor. And I think it's fascinating that, to think about, you know, Zacchaeus, he he's, sees this product all the time and is passing through the balm of Gilead, and yet he's about ready to meet the balm of Gilead because who is going to soothe and heal and who is going to bring repentance but Jesus Christ here. Very interesting to think about. Let's pick it up in verse 3. So Zacchaeus is the, the chief tax collector, and he's rich, and he was seeking to see, verse 3, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. What might have attracted Zacchaeus to want to see Jesus? Very interesting to think about that. Jesus was well known, so perhaps he was just coming to see him as a, a celebrity. He was known to be a, Jesus was known to be a miracle worker. He might have actually heard or at least uh, had heard about the fact that Jesus had in his disciples, his inner circle, he had a tax collector. That's who Matthew, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he was a tax collector, maybe even maybe was even known by him. Uh, so I might have been curious to see, who's this guy that my friend is, is following? Uh, maybe he actually had heard this story about the rich man, or the, excuse me, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Maybe that parable had floated around. But there was something about Jesus that put him into a seek mode. And then there's another detail furnished here for us. And that was that Jesus climbed up, or Jesus, Zacchaeus climbs up a sycamore tree. Now a sycamore tree, uh, like we have, is completely different than the one that would grow in the Middle East. That one would look more like a big fig tree, which fig trees, if you know how they grow, they, they have very low branches and they, they kind of go cockeyed in many different directions. And uh, the difference was, that the, instead of having beautiful, tasty figs like fig trees have, this had very sour and bitter fruit that nobody would want to pick. And so I want you to picture this scene here. You have a short man, probably climbed up because it had the lowest branches, easy to get on top of, and he climbs up and he's hanging on a branch. And he is the man in town that everybody hates. He's a man in town that everybody despises. So he's hanging on this branch like a piece of fruit. <laughs> he's hanging there over Jesus like a piece of fruit that nobody wants to pick. <laughs> I'll pick the story up. So when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So that big, sour piece of fruit that nobody wants. Who picks the fruit? Jesus. He does, you know, he does the opposite. As a matter of fact, I'm sure the crowd that day would have been very happy for Jesus to, you know, be coming with his procession and stop and point up at him and say, you foul sinner, you need to repent. That's what everybody would have expected Jesus to do. But Jesus disappointed them. Jesus disappointed them, and you know, he reserves that right to disappoint you. He reserves the right to do what you don't think he should do. 
He, just, he, he reserves the right. He's the God of the universe. He's the, he's the person that, that created you. And he reserves the right to do in your life whatever is best for you, even if it's unexpected, it's unwanted, it's undesired, it's not the way he's supposed to work. You know, we have that, that proverb, don't we, that, that uh, bad morals corrupt good company. Well, you know, perhaps the opposite is also true, that maybe good morals corrupt bad company. Because that's certainly what we see Jesus doing. He is actually good company for a man who has, who has bad morals there. But he's not, you know, he's not supposed to be hanging out with any notorious sinners. I think that's just amazing. Those are just human expectations. You know, on the night of the Last Supper, which would be happening in the following week, Jesus gave the commandment to love one another as I have loved you. And he said that I want my disciples to be marked by the love you have for one another. This is a very loving church, and I see a lot of people that love one another and hug one another. And that is to actually be one of the principal marks of a disciple, is to love one another as Jesus loved you. Sometimes that love is costly. Sometimes that love requires us to give up preferences. Sometimes that love requires us to give forgiveness where we don't feel that forgiveness is necessary. But that's to be our principal mark of how people will know for sure that we are walking with Jesus and are to be a disciple of him living in the world. And we live in a time period right now where there's great polarization. We live in a time period where people are more and more separated from one another, where the slice of society of people that we're willing to socialize with gets smaller and smaller and smaller, where we have to accept only people that share our opinions or our beliefs or our judgments or our preferences or our similarities. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do. We are under no obligation to despise. We're under no obligation to not love or care for people who are different from us. It is not a single person who's unworthy of salvation. And that's the big, that's the big movement, I think, really, kind of the atmosphere we find ourselves in, even as a culture, is this whole idea of othering, okay? It's this, certain people become the other when in fact we are called to be the people of God. We're called to be including people and including people that are different from ourselves. And that's got to be a mark of our discipleship because there's no one, not a single person, if you are a Christian, there's not a single person that's unworthy of God's love or unworthy of concern, his concern. And therefore, if God loves him and is concerned about, that should be also our desire is to love and to be concerned for those that are even different from ourselves. And that's really, I think, a beautiful story about the story about Zacchaeus is the fact that he was the one that nobody liked. Nobody wanted to pick him. And Jesus stops and says, I must come to your house tonight. And what happens when he does that? So he climbs down the tree, probably was in some pretty nice clothes if he was rich. So he's probably got bark all over him, really lacking in a lot of dignity and decorum, I'm almost certain. And the next thing he says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now I'm assuming that probably this exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus happened when they were at table in his house. And what is the significance about the amounts that he's talking about as far as financial? Well, first of all, Proverbs 19:17 says, that he who lends to the poor lends to God. But there's not really any prescribed amount of money that we need to give to the poor. 
But what, is, what does he promise? He pledges 50%. That's a pretty big tithe, wouldn't you say? 50% of every dollar you make, that I'm going to give that to help the poor. To, I'm going to release these funds to help the poor. But then also he says, if I defraud anyone, I will once again restore it fourfold. Numbers 5-6 gives the law of restitution, which if I could sum the math up for you is this. It is the replacement plus 120%. Okay, that's that was the law. If you stole or uh, misused something, you know, or destroyed something, that you had to make restitution for what you had taken. And what is being promised here is not value plus 120%, it is a promise of 480%. The promise came saying, Lord, I give it now and I give it going forward. But why this release of money? What? Why does that? Why was the release of money uh, referred to by Jesus as, well, this is surely a sign that, that salvation has come to this house? Well, of course, all of us guys know that there's a very sensitive nerve, isn't there? It runs between the heart down to the wallet. And so, you know, it's obvious there was definitely a, definitely a change of some kind there. But I think the key for understanding this, once again, is back in Luke chapter 18. So turn a page back with me once again. And I, I believe the key really is, is the story that happened. And this is not a story. I mean, it actually is part of the narrative. And that was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, you know, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, he says, Jesus says, well, you know the law. And he goes, yeah, you know, I've done this, I've done that. All these laws I've kept um, since my childhood. But then uh, Jesus says, well, then, you know, you're still lacking one thing. And that is I want you to uh, get rid of all your money. I want you to sell all you have. And I want you to distribute to the poor and then follow me. And then look what Jesus says right after that. He says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so he was sad, the rich young ruler was. But then look at, go back now to, to chapter 19, where Zacchaeus releases his funds. It reminds me of the words of Matthew, where Matthew, Matthew says, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his entire soul. This is just a particular species of sin holding these men back from following Jesus. That particular species was the accumulation of wealth. The rich young ruler turned away because the price was too high. Zacchaeus was so overwhelmed with the love and respect shown to him by Jesus that he repented and he released his wealth to follow the Lord. So he gave it up because he was wanting to follow the Lord. So for one, the price was too high. For Zacchaeus, the price was, seemed just about right to him to be able to follow Jesus. The story, of course, ends right here. And it is a beautiful story, isn't it? Many of us have known this story since we were little kids in Sunday school. It's this beautiful story, and you know it continues uh, outside of the pages of Scripture, where, uh, you know, of course, after, after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, and after, after Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the church was formed in Jerusalem. And one of the earliest followers, according to church history, was Zacchaeus. And he actually became one of the followers of Peter the Apostle. And Peter the Apostle actually appointed him to be the Bishop of Caesarea, which is a city in the north of Israel, where he held that office until he died at the end of the first century. And he's even considered by a branch of the church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, 
they consider him to be one of their saints. And uh, it's, it's a very a very interesting thing because uh, every year they have a they have a feast to honor him. That's uh, they they sing a hymn that goes this way: "Praise, thou didst treasure the wealth of salvation, and hated unjust gains, O blessed Zacchaeus. When the Savior came to thy house, thou didst bring forth the fruits of repentance, the righting of wrongs, the protection of the poor, and a new God-pleasing life." Put a beautiful end to that story. So, how does that end? What what do we get out of that? What should we take home today from that? Well, first of all, definitely lesson one. The price of being a disciple of Jesus is repentance and is not doing penance. Repentance, not penance. Doing penance is human-centered efforts to make up to God and appease God for the wrongs that we've done. There's sorrow indeed, but there's not a change of heart. And that's what there needs to have happen in our life. Repentance is an actual change of heart and mind about Jesus that changes everything. It changes your values, it changes your habits, your thoughts, and your relationship. Zacchaeus' pursuit of wealth and ill-gotten riches was merely the fruit. The root was his separation from God. And when he opened his heart to the welcome of Christ, the change came. And that change was a complete and total turnaround. Let me ask you something. Have you opened your heart to Christ? Have you welcomed him into your life? Because he calls you by name. He calls Zacchaeus by name, but he still calls us by name. Do you know he knows your name? And he knows your address? And he knows who you are? And he calls you by name, and have you welcomed him in? Because welcoming in, him into your heart, into your life, as your Savior, changes literally everything. Okay, I did that a long time ago, Chris. Well, here's another question I want to have for you today. You know, check that off the list. But let me ask you one more question. When was the last time you had an open house and welcomed him into your heart? check out the rest of your house. You know, if our heart is the home of Christ, a lot of times there's parts of our house that we just assume uh, he don't inspect, right? Uh, there's rooms where it's like, you know, I'd like to clean that room up a little bit before I invite you in, Lord. And of course, Jesus says, you think I don't know about that room? Uh, you know? <laughs> Something we need to do and keep regular. There's actually a practice that uh, the church has practiced for thousands of years, and that's the whole idea of, of laying our heart out before the Lord and, and at the end of the day and saying, God, where have I transgressed against you? Would you please just show me? You know, having that openness to the Lord coming and welcoming into your heart and say, Lord, you know, my heart's yours, my life is yours. Uh, do what you will, but help me to walk with you in a way that's right. I know that for myself, being really a relatively advanced sinner, that I have found uh, that one of the best things uh, is sometimes to just confess. And it's helpful sometimes to confess to another human being the things that I'm, I'm struggling with. It's something about bringing it out. It's like a bad infection that, you know, you know, if you have an infection, sometimes you've got to get some sunlight on your skin, right? To heal it up. The same idea of exposing it in a helpful way that helps you set that aside. Certainly, the, another lesson we can take from this is the fact that devotion will require a divesting in your life of some kind. For Zacchaeus, it was his wealth. But it's different things for different people, and it doesn't necessarily have to be something bad. I don't have a list here for any of us to consider, but I just think about the fact it's a logical conclusion that if Jesus is the Lord of your life, and God is your creator, that he has a right to say anything that is standing in the way of your following him fully and becoming who he wants you to become, there's nothing off limits. And realizing don't Step back if you feel like the Lord is saying, hey, you know, this does need to be put on a back burner or it needs to be out of your life now. To not be afraid of stepping into that because that's the fullness of what God calls us to do. 
devotion requires a divestment sometimes for us to move forward. And we don't want to be like the rich young ruler. We want to be like Zacchaeus, who fully welcomed what God called him to do. And I think that the last lesson I just want to bring out this morning is the fact that, you know, it really doesn't matter what the crowd thinks about you. It really doesn't matter. You know, the crowd didn't think much of Zacchaeus, but what did matter was what God thought of Zacchaeus. It doesn't even matter what you think about you, either. What matters is what Christ thinks about you. You know, if I could boil down uh, a bunch of New Testament theology, here's what it would be. This is said very well by a pastor by the name of Tim Keller. Um, he says this, he said, you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but you are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. He had to, but had and glad. Isn't that beautiful? Is that absolutely the most beautiful thing? In other words, basically, Jesus is, in, you know, without, without I, I don't want to not be reverent, but Jesus is crazy about you. He loves you a lot more than you love yourself. That's an amazing thing. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. And if you're one of those people that struggles with believing that God loves you, just understand that that is the truth. And to welcome Him in, and welcome that, and to stand in that. Uh, the, the, the Apostle Jude, in a little book just for Revelation, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Well, how do you do that? I mean, is it like a shower? You know, no, it's not, it's not necessarily a shower, but it's like bringing that to the forefront in your mind and realizing, stay in the love of God because God loves you. And to treasure that, treasure that as the reality for it. It doesn't matter what other people think. God loves you and you and you and you. He loves all of you. And sometimes we forget that and lose track of that. And yet the love of Christ is what made all the difference in bringing Zacchaeus to repentance and a complete turnaround in his life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for, once again, this story. Actually, I'm thankful, God, that you teach us in stories. We need them. We live in one. And... Uh, and everybody's life is a story. My life's a story. Every person in this room has a story. And we thank you, God, and we just ask you to continue just to enter and guide that story, even as you did this, this one man's life, that you would turn our lives around, that you help us to become fully and completely who you want us to be, Lord. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ, who changes everything. We thank you and we pray that in this week we would find your encouragement, your strength, and your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thank you. Brother Chris. So uh, we're going to be dismissed this morning. You'll be looking in your hymnal 506. That's what we're going to close with. Uh, but if you're here today and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today's your day. And uh, the pastors are going to be up front. Pastor Chris will be up here. Pastor Steve will be up here. Pastor PK will be up here. Myself, I'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you and tell you about Jesus, tell you how to receive Him into your heart. Uh, if you, uh, if the message touched your heart this morning and, uh, and a rededication is in order, we're here to pray with you for that. If you want to be baptized in this church, then we're here to pray with you about that and get that arranged. Um, if you're interested in joining our church, you can come forward. Any of those things, you can come up at the end of the service. We'd love to visit with you about them, pray about them, and just celebrate the Lord with you. So let's stand our feet, and, and as that's occurring, if you... If you want to be prayed with, you come on forward, but we're going to sing 506 in the hymnal. I'd rather have Jesus. Let's just sing that first verse, and it goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be Him.
Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football game.